sexy voice today. Welcome to the Scallion Pancake Podcast. I'm Jason Ackerman. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there and all you pancakes. Uh, hope you're having a great uh, Sunday. Maybe you're watching the Wells Fargo tournament. Maybe you're, um, you know, having a drink at the pool. Who knows what you're doing? But thanks for listening to the podcast. Today we have a very special two guests. Kristen Weil, uh, it's time to bring her back because there's so much happening in the Charlotte food scene. So we brought her back to give us a little update on what's going on. Uh, and then at the end, her husband John comes in. And John is a huge bourbon guy. And he's super fascinating. He talks about how he goes on these like six-hour trips um, to these random liquor stores trying to find bourbon. And they have an insane bourbon pit. Uh, it's not a pit, but that's what I'm going to call it, in their basement, and it's awesome. Uh, I've died to go on a hunt for him. He says he wants to hit 200 liquor stores in one day. I think that's what he said. He might have said 50. I don't know. It was some we- crazy-ass number. Um, and that just sounds amazing. So I respect that, and I hope you enjoy this episode. And again, happy Mother's Day. All right. Hello, everyone. We are live in Kristen Wiles' Bourbon Den in an undisclosed location in Pleasant Midway <laughs> for the Scallion Pancake Podcast. Uh, we've got Kristen Wiles back a uh, multiple time. Yeah. What number is this? Three this or is, four. Um, we needed a Charlotte update. Yeah. Because a lot of things have happened in Charlotte, and there's no better person to go to. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, let's obviously... What, what were you, you were on like right before the pandemic hit? Yeah, lots of things have happened. Lots of places have opened. I guess what's what's like your most excited thing that's opened in the last few months? Last few months, um, probably Supperland, um, partially because it's so close. But I'm really excited for what Colleen Hughes is going to do in that side room. Uh, she's going to do like a little afternoon tea service with cocktails um yeah so i think and snacks and stuff and i think that's something new and exciting because if you're like me and enjoy like a good afternoon cocktail and hangout there aren't that many places you can go so i feel like an all-day drinking establishment is like a big step forward yeah i haven't been to sufferland yet it's hard to get a reservation yeah hopping yeah what have you uh what's the thing to order there so um, it's funny. So just we started this new thing on Emerson's Palette um, where we do our opening thoughts because people. Oh yeah, we should tell. So if you don't know, Chris and Wild, are you? What's your title? Um, editor Boss, and founder. Editor and yes. founder of Unprotected Palette. If you don't subscribe to Unprotected Palette, you should. Daily newsletter. Twice a week newsletter. Twice a week newsletter. The daily news coverage. Um, daily news coverage. Great articles. If you want to know what's going on in Charlotte, you have to follow Unprotected Palette. Oh, hey, thanks. Um, so. Yeah, so we started, we, we have, we do a lot of um, critical restaurant reviews, which is kind of like a dying art, so, um, but we do the traditional, like, waiting three months for a place to open before we will print a review and give something a star rating, but we found that people were so antsy to go to new restaurants that we needed something to kind of bridge the gap between day one and month three when we can start going to do a review. So we started these opening thoughts. Um, and Justin Burke, who used to be the pastry chef at Kindred and Hello Sailor, um, when he had his son, he decided to step back from the restaurant industry. And so he now does reviews for us, which is fantastic because... And he's been on the podcast. He, yeah, and he's fantastic. I mean, he but he, he knows the shit. Fun time. Fun time. Was it? 
Oh, yeah. Oh. He's, I like wanted to party with him. He's fantastic. Like, just a, a wonderful human being. Um, but having him as a reviewer is great because he really understands things on a different level. Um, and he sent me a message after he got back from Supperland. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something to the lines of, like, this has the potential to be one of the best restaurants in Charlotte. If they, they up the service, he was like, it was some of the best service I've had in the city. So that's good. High, that's praise, high praise. Um, very high praise. And it's interesting because I know there's been like a, a lot of um, debate about the pricing and all that there. But, you know, I think people yeah, I don't have understand been that. like you're going to a nice restaurant. I feel like my <laughs> what do you? Expect? Yeah, I think what <laughs> what the issue is, is the is the menu didn't properly describe the portion sizes because it's supposed to be like steakhouse meets church potluck. Which means they're like closer to family style portion sizing. Yeah. And so you look at the menu and like, yeah, I know the purse shrimp thing like comes, that's sticker shock, right? But like the sides and salads, like all of that is priced for a bigger portion. Um, So I think when you see it on your table, it's reasonable. But yeah, when you look at the menu and you think you're getting like a tiny little side for the prices, you're like, what? Um, But yeah. Don't go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah don't go let that's us go that's for applebee's <laughs> applebee's is for you yeah yes um and it's just you know i think it's 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 a hard time right now and i i feel like supperland's pricing may be shocking now but like the way all the trends are going right now in the restaurant industry financially i think a lot more restaurants are going to shift towards supperland than supperland's gonna bring its pricing down yeah. right i mean oh, it's, for sure I think we're going to see, like, the high-end restaurants and the low-end restaurants and, like, the middle tier, that's going to disappear. I think. Yeah, be- or the, or it's, their prices will have to shift. I mean, with everything that's happening right now, I just, I don't see how many pricing stays the same. So why do you say that? Um, partially, it's the labor debate. Um, there's such a short supply of restaurant workers right now. Um, and the other part of it is, is food costs are going up. I was talking to Louis Donald, who owns Sweet Lou's. And he was saying that brisket has gone up like two or three dollars a pound since he first opened Sweet Lou's. Yeah. Um, which is just like, if your food costing a plate and buying as much brisket as he does, that's a huge price difference. So, um, and that's across the board. Everything is going up in price. So, either the customers are going to have to start paying for more of that, um, or you know, the restaurants aren't going to survive. And then also all the pandemic stuff, right? Like increased cleaning. Um, the capacity limitations which are decreasing but as long as there's a six foot distance requirement between tables restaurants aren't going to be able to do much more than 50 percent um and the increased takeout they're spending a lot of money on things like plastic containers and this and that yeah 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 so there's just like shortages on everything and price increases on everything is just nuts yeah so a big thing this week in charlotte was all these chefs came out for $15 minimum wage. And apparently all these restaurant groups are now following through. What What's your take on that? Um, it's an interesting take. Or it's an interesting move, I should say. I don't know that my take is that interesting. Um, I think it makes, it makes sense for people to draw in talent. Um, and not even specific restaurants, but like right now, the only thing keeping a lot of people in the restaurant industry is a passion for what they do, right? Like, you could go to Amazon and like we, so we have, um, uh, Roku. So we get like those kind of like localized commercials 
Um, and we're always getting like Amazon is start, starts at $15 an hour for delivery drivers in North Carolina. So like if your option is to go, you know, work your butt off washing dishes or prepping for a restaurant um, or getting yelled at by people who are, you know, yeah. <laughs> just not good customers um, and, you know, drive around in a truck listening to music all day delivering Amazon packages, like what what's your choice going to be? If you don't love what you're doing, like... You're going to go for the easier job where you're making more money. Um, and so I think a lot of people have tried to make this about like, I've, I've heard a lot about like, oh, the unemployment benefits, like people just don't want to work. And like, I don't think that's it. I'm hearing that a lot of people just had staff that felt like, you know, they got laid off. They found a better opportunity and they took it. Um, and the restaurant industry has to do something to draw them back. So I think the $15 an hour minimum wage will help do that but i don't think it's reasonable for all kinds of restaurants like um if you're like a diner and your average ticket price is twelve dollars per person like you're probably not gonna be able to make up that margin unless you're increasing your prices and who's going to go to a diner where they're spending you know the same amount as they would at a diner for brunch as they would at like the asbury right so I think it makes sense for restaurants that have a high enough ticket price. Other people, it's going to be a real struggle. Yeah, it's that's interesting because I think the biggest difference, like in Europe, you're like a career server. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's like your job, like your career. And we don't have that in the U.S. We do like in certain places, but very hard to, to do that here. And that's where we're going to inevitably have to shift to. And that means higher prices... And, but with those high prices, you're hypothetically going to get better service and better quality of food. So we have to get people to buy into that. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. I feel like the tipping thing is like such an American thing, right? Like the debate of should we have tips? Should we do away with tips? And then we don't have a tipped minimum wage, which is like just terribly yeah. low. Um, so I so a lot of people will be like, oh, well, if we take away tipping, then like they people have no incentive to like work harder. And it's like, that to me is such an American response. Like, yeah, because in Europe, I mean, they work hard. Like, yeah, because it's their career. They right. take it as a as their livelihood, exactly. and their passion, and that's like what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, and it's people don't realize like the tip is part of what you're paying. Right, like, that is their wage that yeah. they're getting. So you're paying like that additional twenty percent or whatever you tip. Like that's Hopefully part that of your meal. Yeah, yeah, it it is part of your meal. And then like think of the servers who are working now at half capacity. Yeah, like their tips are not, they're just not going to be as much. Um, And so, again, it's another reason for them to leave, right? Like they're, it's it's tough. I mean, I think. You sound down on the restaurant industry. I don't. Are you down? I'm not like, well, down on like, what do you mean? Like Like the the future? Yeah, the future. I'm not. Um, What I'm down on is I think we have a culture that's very. Selfish isn't the right word, but kind of. And we have expectations that have been created when diners are in a restaurant of what they expect. And it's like, it's not a mutual relationship between the diner and the staff. It's like the diners are, you know, feel like they're there to be waited on, which like technically they are, but like everyone's a human being. And being a server is an art form and it takes a lot of patience that I know I wouldn't have. And, you know... And, like, the ability to make conversation and, like, make people feel comfortable. There's there's a lot of skill to that. 
And I, I don't think that diners recognize that as a skill just yet, which is why I'm like down because I, I think customers, the issue isn't going to be the restaurant industry. It's going to be that the customers need to recognize and respect what everybody else brings to the table and what they're paying for. And it's not just the food on your plate. Yeah. I think we're seeing that shift. I think as more people eat out, especially younger people, like they're used to higher prices and paying these things. It's kind of like the people who would go out, you know, for birthdays, like not a lot, which is still a lot of people. Yeah. But they just, you know, they like the way I grew up, like you would go to Red Lobster and that was like the best meal you could have. And like those places I think are going to really struggle because they really rely on turnover Mm -hmm. of the tables. So like how fast you get people in and out of the place, how packed it is and the food pricing and those are all shifting away from what they're used to. Yeah. That's interesting. I never thought of that because lately when I've been going out, I feel like I've been lingering a lot longer because it's like it feels so good to be out. Yeah. Um, and that's restaurants don't want that. They want. The they don't want that. that. Yeah. And you don't even realize it. And it's like, oh shit! Like we've been here for two hours. Um, yeah. And like they like in New York, they just like you're like, you're like done. They'll just yep. like stand over you yep. until you, because that's how they make all their money. And plus, the restaurants are so small there. Yeah. And I think the restaurants that we've seen that have done well during the pandemic are the smaller, higher end restaurants that are. I don't know what the average ticket is, $150, $200 per table. They're doing well because they don't have to have as many people come in and out. Where if you see yeah. these huge restaurants with 200 yeah. people's seats, like obviously they're the ones that are struggling because they were used to doing that all the time. Yeah. What do, what do we think about Uptown? Is Uptown dead? <sighs> the restaurant scene? Like You know, it's interesting. Like From, from everybody I've spoken to, weekends are hopping, but, but it's just during the week. It's rough. Yeah. Um, which which makes sense. I'd, but the nice thing is, like, you can go anywhere in Uptown right now. I'm a park so easily. Like, yeah. It's parking fantastic. is great. Yeah. Um, Traffic and parking have been great. Yeah. But I think um, I heard from one restaurateur who said, like, PPP basically saved them. Um, well, there's going to be a lot of money coming in with that. And now the restaurant revitalization yeah, Act. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's gonna, so I think that's really gonna help the restaurant. I think so too. I think uptown. They needed. I mean, they literally had to shut their doors. A hundred percent. Yeah, and and still, I mean, I don't know. Do you work in uptown? No. Yeah. So like, but and when I go up there, I still don't see many people. Um, I know people are slowly returning to the office here and there, but yeah, it's gonna be a long time until the banks let people back. Yeah. But like you said, like we went to Moa on a Friday night and it was packed, hopping. Yeah. We try. I went with a buddy. We tried to go to the place and. in what's the new red um, hotel? Can't think of it. In the Grand Bohemian. Yeah, the Grand Nico. Bohemian. Yeah, yeah. Try to go there. They had like a two-hour wait. Just walked around, <laughs> like wound up at um, Finnipino, which was great. I love Finnipino, yeah. So, yeah, I. But the lunch, like There's the ones nothing. that catered to lunch, that was. Yeah, bad. I don't think it, like anywhere's really even open for lunch. It's I, like. It's. I mean, why? Why bother? There's nobody there. So, so what? Um, what's changed? With unpretentious palate during the, during COVID. Uh, yeah. Um, has the business well, model changed at all? The business model hasn't changed at all. So a couple things. Um, we stopped doing reviews for a stretch um, yeah. because it just felt really unfair. Obviously places were closed. We did so the we same couldn't. thing too. Yeah. So um, I think around December we started bringing them back. Um, maybe it was before then. I feel like this whole last year has just like a total blur. Yeah. Um, so we brought them back. We started doing the opening thoughts as I was telling you about. Um, 
we've been doing these cocktail kits, which has been super fun. Yeah. Um, and so we're... We love those. Yeah. So we're, we're... I don't know if you saw, like, the mess in the other room, but we're building the old-fashioned kits that are coming up next. So um, we're doing those. They go on sale. They're on sale now, but pickup is Saturday. Um, and then we're going to do a second round for Father's Day. So um, we kind of started that as, like, a lot of our revenue is coming from events, and obviously we couldn't do events. Uh, and we also wanted to find a way to get bartenders back, like, involved in things. So we pay... Um, bartenders pretty well um i think for each kit so the bartenders we have eight different bartenders per kit they pay or they provide a two ounce bottle of syrup and two garnishes and then a recipe to make their signature old-fashioned and then um each each one like shares their inspiration behind it too and then people can vote on their favorite so each kit makes 16 cocktails um and yeah they're super cool i forget which one we did i think you did the mule kit yeah yeah and they're just like very cool garnishes and... yeah um, highly recommend it. Thanks. I hope you bring back the events because your events were we will. the best. Yeah, that's... And you highlighted a chef and they would kind of tell their life story through a meal. That was super cool. You yeah. That. Yeah, so that's... Events will be coming back soon. Um, I think we have a couple that we're talking about right now. So I'm hoping this summer they'll be back. Um, and then we launched a job board, speaking of the labor shortage. So um, we now have... You can go to unpretentiouspilot.com slash jobs and we're have all like restaurant industry jobs whether it's like pr servers um chefs dishwashers like whatever so um that's a new thing and then i'm working on another thing that hopefully will launch this month um, oh yeah that's that's more um geared towards people opening a restaurant um that i'm excited about and then i think we're gonna raise our subscription price um this summer what are you charging well. now 5.99 oh yeah you so should definitely I, go higher. yeah i think we're gonna go to 9.99 um and just like, because when we launched our Pretentious Palette, there was like nothing else kind of doing what we do. And now others have popped up and I've been following their subscription prices. And so... Um, Who else has popped up? Well, locally, like the Charlotte Ledger. So, and um, their subscription is nine ninety nine a month. But they don't um, just do restaurants. They don't. But like, I feel like it's they like... They do an, Charlotte News. They do Charlotte, yeah, business news. Yeah. Well, I'm just meaning not like food, but more just yeah. like subscription online publications. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, I think... We have like a, su- a similar product, so like, if they're charging nine ninety nine, yeah. Like, I mean, I as a subscriber, I don't think going from five ninety nine to nine ninety nine is thank you that big of a deal. Yeah, thanks. So I'm like super nervous about it, but I didn't want to do it like during the like heart of the pandemic. Um, yeah. So I think we'll probably do that like later this year, and then people who subscribe early will be grandfathered into the earlier price with the option of increasing their price if they want to support. Um, so get your subscriptions in now. Yeah, people. right. Hurry up. Um, <laughs> And yeah, what else? I feel like there's always, I don't know, a lot going on, but. So what do you think about, we've had like some high-end restaurants, like Counter. Yeah. Sort of open. Like, how do you think that we, uh, we, we talk about this all the time, but like Charlotte's still like relatively not well-known nationwide. Yeah. Like, do you think we're on the cusp of like one of these restaurants? I mean, we did have Lee and Louise get. I think they're going to be, if, if someone's going to get a beard or like I not a not like not a win but a finalist recommendation I don't think we would go from having semi-finalists never advancing to finalists to like all of a sudden having a winner yeah but I think Lee and Louise I think they have a good chance of advancing to finalists this year that's good yeah Yeah, I I I mean they're they're great I just want we need to get like a a win it's hard I mean I think like 
I feel like we might have talked about this before, but the system is not in favor of a city like Charlotte. Um, just the way the voting is. And I think they've been talking about changing the way that the voting happens, but each former winner gets a vote and you can only vote to advance a restaurant if you've been there. Yeah. So if you have your judges... Which makes sense. It, it doesn't... You probably shouldn't vote on a restaurant. I right, just no, that makes sense, but... They just need more, like... They need just more judges or more people. I don't well, know. Well, the problem is all the judges are concentrated now in the bigger cities, right? Because, like, everybody wins in Chicago and New York. And yeah, exactly. And you have so, like, you know, either Atlanta or Nashville, like, that's where all the judges are. Yeah. And, like, Charlotte, you know, it's... I So, for me, my parents have a beach house in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And there was a restaurant there called Amuse that I loved that had, uh, was a James Beard semifinalist for um, that region. And I was like, how does like this, and I, I love the restaurant, but like it was not of a quality of some of the restaurants we have in Charlotte. And I'm like, how does yeah. this get a nod? But like these restaurants in Charlotte don't. And then I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, where everybody from DC comes. Yeah, they all vacation. So there. they all vacation there. They go to the restaurant and they're like, oh, like I'm going to nominate this. And it's just like, Charlotte isn't a vacation town. Yeah, it just seems like it'd be easy, easy to fix. Like, you just look at yeah people like you. Like, you why are you not voting on James Beard? But even if I was voting, the restaurants wouldn't move forward because everybody would have to choose to come to Charlotte and eat at the yeah. restaurant. You know what I mean? And I think it's if you have the choice, like you're going to go to Charleston and hit up like seven restaurants. Yeah. Instead, because they don't know that like we have seven. I think we have seven decent restaurants you can. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, but. It, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's it's tough. We just need we need tough. someone. We just need to get lucky, and someone gets you know the right person comes on the yeah. right day, and mm-hmm. that's what happens. Yeah, It'll and happen. then and then the next round, like I mean, part of it is being really well connected, right? Like if you know, say a restaurant owner it happens to personally know yeah. all these people who have won James Beard awards in the past, and they come to town. Like, I think having Ashley Christensen is really helpful in the state because I'm sure she comes to Charlotte to check out the restaurants that have been nominated. So I think, like, as North Carolina as a whole gets more recognition, it'll slowly enable more people to come get us past the next round. But, yeah, my my hope is Lee and Louise will get us to the next round. Yeah. I think they're... If you haven't been to Lee and Louise, what are you doing? Yeah. You gotta go. Yeah. So where... So... If somebody's visiting from out of town, like where do you send them? Ooh. Let's say they're coming. It's like it's like a New York Times thirty six mm-hmm. hours in Charlotte, mm-hmm. or however long forty eight hours. So like we're planning a whole day here. Yeah, they come in okay. on Friday and they're leaving Sunday night. Okay, so they need Friday dinner. Yeah. Okay, and where are they staying? They're staying here. In they're staying in the bourbon room. Oh, in the bourbon room. Ooh, that's awkward. <laughs> All right. I mean, like, you can't beat this bourbon selection, so this I don't is, know why I I'm might stay here. I mean, if I, get, <laughs> if I get really drunk, I'll just like... So there's uh, actually like a bedroom right there. So like if we have anybody that needs to pass out, they're welcome to. It's John's bourbon overflow room. Um, okay, Uptown. So, so I'm going to say they're staying in Uptown because that's where people yeah. generally stay. For dinner... I would probably send them to Haymaker, Irfan, and Fino. Okay. Or maybe dinner at Haymaker, and then like after dinner cocktails yeah. at Fin and Fino. With BK and the clams. Oh, the cl- oh, yeah, always, always BK and the clams. <laughs> I John and I, so John and I did like a staycation, and we did dinner at Miko, and then um, actually we did drink four p.m. drinks at dot dot dot, dinner at Miko, and then after dinner cocktails at Fin and Fino, 
and we were blasted. It was so much fun. Um, Where'd you stay? The Grand Bohemian. Oh, yeah, fancy. yeah. It was fancy. It was like it was the first time actually the two of us had had a night away from JJ, and he was like one and a half. Um, but yeah, man. I was like, I'm only going to have like a little bit to drink at Finifino, but then you have one drink and you're like, oh, yeah. that's so good. Um, okay. So other things that I think are very Charlotte, I think, so I prefer the food at Kindred, but I think Hello Sailor's patio, like you can't beat like the lake yeah. view. I feel like that's like a very North Carolina thing. Cause everybody's like, oh, we're close to the lake. We're close to the mountains. We're close to the beach. Um, so I, I like to send people up to the lake. I think. Um, other good spots for cocktails. I think Idlewild is like scandalously underrated. Yeah. Um, and dot dot dot. Obviously, like we're there quite frequently. I would probably send them to dot 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 for dinner, um, as well, because I think it's like a really cool spot that people don't think about as a dinner space. Yeah. Um. Gosh, there's so many good places, man. It's hard. I think if it's so for breakfast, I would probably say Camp North End. Wentworth and Fen pastries. Yes. And then kind of like wander around um, with probably a local guide because Camp North End can be very intimidating. I love Plant Joy. They're open, yeah. like, they're open seven minutes a day. Yeah. But I love them. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the food hall, the food hall, food stalls are pretty cool. And that's kind of been the, something that's kind of happened in the last year. Yeah. Like food, Optimus Hall, yeah, Camp North yeah. End, really. Mm-hmm. And then like, there's the Gibson, Gibson Market. I Whatever is going to open is that where up Atherton? in. Um, no, up in Concord. Like they're getting. Oh, um, I didn't know that. I think it's called Gibson Hall or Gibson Market. But yeah, so that's opening up there. Um, yeah, Optimus Hall is probably a place I'd send them to. Because it's. I feel like anytime we go to a new city, we try and find a food food hall. Yeah. Um, we went to Amsterdam and went to the food hall, and it was like, it's yeah. the best place in the world. Um, God, there's so many good places, though. I feel like. Haberdish still is like a very like, Charlotte, Charlotte I think, thing. I think Haberdish um, is like super Charlotte. Yeah, it is. It's and walking around Noda is always fun. Um, although we did the patio at the Goodyear House, we had friends in town, and that was really great. Like, yeah, it's just a great vibe. It's like everything I love about Charlotte is like very this great patio. Yeah, there's you know people are friendly. Like, there's great live music. Um, the food, Chris's food, I think is is really great. So. I don't know. So many places. It's not enough time in yeah, Friday and Sunday. I know. Um, it's so hard. I put yeah, you on the spot. Okay. You did. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'll think of like 18 more Okay. Later. What about... We have to talk about uh, the Penguin location. Yeah. And like, it's cursed. Why are people trying to do something other than a diner there? Do we think this next thing's going to work? Trying to do the same thing that's been happening? Um. Because I know you're... You're buddies with all these people. I wouldn't say buddies with all these people. I think... I think NC Red, there's more to that closure than people think. Yeah. Um, what do you mean? I think... I think it was a struggle. Part of it was, and kind of like what I was saying about the diners, right? Like, they were trying to do what people expect to be is a cheap cuisine. Yeah. Higher end. Um, and I think... The food was good there. The food was great there. I like the food at Comida. I think I'm the only person. Right, but again, people people have a but stereotype of what a, a price point should diner. be. Right. And they... they, I don't know if it's going to work until you replicate that. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I honestly, I think it all depends on the price point. I think NC Red would have been fine if, if they served cheaper fried chicken. Yeah. But, like, that's not what Bruce Moffat does, right? Yeah. Like, if you're well, getting... I'm sure the red fare is expensive and, like, yes. it's hard yeah. to do a diner concept. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I think... I, I was really bummed NC Red closed. I think... they So, they closed down, kind of reconcepted, and... I think that closure also, like, the amount of time it took to yeah. get that reconcept done really hurt them because at that point they were closed for almost two months. Um, and that's hard to come back from yeah, financially for a new restaurant. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how the new place does. I, I think Frank probably recognizes, like, what price point it should be at yeah. um, and how approachable the cuisine needs to be. So we'll see. Um, and I think... Frank Chabelli, he's the one... He's like my top guest I want on the podcast. It's really? going to happen this year. That's a 2021 goal. Have you asked him? Uh, I have, but he wanted to do it in person. So now we're like uh, yep. yeah, to in person. He'd be a great conversation. If, I, mean, Yvonne, he's... I, I don't know what he looks like, but Yvonne says he's a super silver fox. <laughs> That's really funny. But she also likes her like body type that she thinks is sexy is Zach Galifianakis. So... <laughs> Of Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn's like her um, dream person. So I don't know what... I don't know if we can rely on... Yeah, I don't even... I, yeah, wow. Well, I don't know what to do with that information. But anyway. I mean, he does have silver hair. Him, him <laughs> and uh, Shortino are the two. Yeah. I've been trying to get Shortino on the pod for three years. That's... I might retire the pod when he yeah, comes Yeah, I was out. really bummed to see that um, Fuda Buddha Asheville closed. Yeah. I know. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know the whole story behind that either, but it's just... I, it's hard to duplicate a concept that works really well in another yeah. place. Like, yeah. I think people, like, when you have your first restaurant, you're in control of everything. You're mm-hmm. there all the time. You know what's happening. As soon as you open up another place, you're splitting your time. And it's very, it's very yeah. hard. Agreed. Growth is hard. Yeah. I think it's been interesting to see, like, I feel like the restaurants that grow the best have been the ones that have, like, a husband and wife team. Yeah. Um, where it's, like, you know, well, you're splitting. Well, and I think they set up, like, a really good culture of like if you look at like Supperland those, yeah um the Tony Dales Tony just, so yeah out on their Tony, Dan- Dan- Tony Daniels yeah but Jamie is Jamie Brown yeah but they're like the way they treat their they've always treated their employees well and empowered them and yeah like, kind of let them do stuff and yeah I think they've done a really good job if you look at like Chevelli like his restaurant's he really knows what he's doing too. Obviously. Yeah. Well, I think too with like people like Jeff and Jamie are so so hands on and like they're just they really care about their people. Like yeah. I feel like that comes across. You know, it's like I feel hands like hands on you know, in a good way though, not hands on. Yeah, like yeah. Like they're way. not above like if they're there for lunch and like somebody needs help, like they're, they're not. Ab- yeah. Um, yeah. They're not above stepping in wherever needed. Um, but they're also, I think, just like. I don't know. They're especially they're good like Jamie is just like the, the kind of boss where I feel like I've had really great bosses and I've had pretty shitty bosses and like you know the really great ones that like you can tell like would go to bat for you that you would like do anything for. I feel yeah. like she's one of those. Um, and so, yeah, I can see. I, yeah, I don't know. What I do just... we think about the Rock Hill Renaissance? All these people open up. It's like, yeah. Is, do you think it was because we moved there? Probably specifically. Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, so have you guys been to Sal Mary's yet? 
Yes. Did you love it? I, I do like Saw Mary's. I, I love Flipside. Anything mm-hmm. they do is Yeah. Yeah. So, delicious. um, yeah, God, they, like, were, like, what, four weeks ahead of the pandemic. They, they like, barely opened and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. I don't know when. I've been a few times. Yeah. I, I, we're starting to get, like, some things. Yeah. Obviously, Chris Coleman's new restaurant yes. is opening. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I think, I think it, I mean, Charlotte is, they talk about the exodus of, like, New York City and San Francisco to cities like Charlotte. And so, I think a lot of it is just a smart financial decision because people are going to be moving to Rock Hill. Yeah, I mean, the Panthers and are the building prices. their whole facility yeah. there. Yep, and rent's way more affordable yeah. than it is in Charlotte. I mean, that's what we tell our friends. It's like, come down, get more house, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you get to be near us. And I yeah. think that's why they don't come, the second part. We had them at the first yeah. part, and they're like, oh, close, too us, close. That's well, It's not the most pedestrian-friendly neighborhood, so they yeah. would, you know, they'd be, we they'd have, be safe. Where we are, we have a trail. Oh. It's very nice. Yeah. Um, it's where the pump house is. Oh, yeah. Which is decent. They have really good wine dinners. Really good wine. Yeah. They, their wine program is really good. Mm-hmm. It's, they're owned by the same people that own Napa on Providence. So. I did not realize that. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Fun facts. Yeah. Anything you want to know about Fort Mill, Rock Hill. <laughs> You're my guy. There's not that many places, but uh, we can tell but you. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Yeah. It's super exciting. So what's like... What's something that's about to open that's you're looking forward to? Um, probably Para. What's Para? Is, I've never even heard of that. Um, where Alex? So it's gonna be in oh, the former Zeppelin space. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know they had a name. They do have a Is name. Is it Italian? It's, um, no. So they're gonna have um a sol- solid raw bar program. It's going to be pretty high-end. Like, So Alex Verica, who left the Stanley, um, Paul Verica's son, he was the chef de cuisine at the Stanley. He's now going to be at Para, um, running the kitchen there. And, man, he sent me... Okay, let me just... let me. I have to get my phone out for this one. Because he did the tasting with the team there. Um, so when is it open? It's opening pretty soon. It's supposed to be opening soon, yeah. And... This is this was his tasting menu, like when he did the test. Yeah. Um, okay. There was. This is really good podcast material. Yeah. Um, milk bread profiteroles with foie gras and strawberry. Yes. Tarragon poached lobster with ricotta, nudie peas, yuzu bear blanc. Um. What else? Let's see. Dutch Harbor King Crab with Harissa Yuzu Tobiko. I don't, I don't even know what that is. And Chili Lime. So it's going to be a lot of seafood. Um, well, Both. the next one is Wagyu New York Strip with Jalapeno Salsa, salsa Verde mm. and Grilled Portobello. Cheshire. Are you guys hungry? Pork Belly hungry. with Soy, Orange, Ginger, Honey, Carrot, Rob, Spring Garnishes. So, um, but this was just like a, you know, when basically he had to like cook yeah. his thoughts for the ownership team. Um, but like I saw that and I was like, oh damn, yeah, <laughs> I'm there. Good. It's gonna be cool to see him like spread his wings. Now. Yeah, 100. percent And I think, I think we have good things to um, expect there. And they did a really cool. Like it looks beautiful in there. They they did a renovation, so like I like Zeppelin, but I didn't like all the weird bottles around. They had, it was like, also like kind of disjointed. I feel like yeah, it, well, it was like in half, and it, yeah, the yeah, bar yeah. And... So it's um much. It's they changed 
changed the configuration so it's a much more open room um so yeah i'm excited about that and then um yeah that's that's probably most most excitement for me that's i'm excited about that but if i had a second place it Uh would be um the restaurant in the jw marriott which um oscar lafuente is going to be running who was the chef at evoke yeah um and he's really really good so i it's like a hotel restaurant but i just i love his cooking um so i'm excited about that those tall restaurants are good yeah i love the stove when chris tolm was there yeah evoke was good yeah Evoke was so good. I was so sad when Evoke closed. Like, I yeah. loved when they had the steak and they did, like, the trio of salts and you could yeah. put the different salts. I still do that when people come over here for steak. <laughs> I have my salt. That's fancy. You, you currently have uh, multiple popcorns that we're trying from yeah. the new uh, farmer's market at yeah. Camp North End. Yep. And we've tried the fried chicken one and we're, eh, on that one. But the white cheddar one, money. Pretty dang good. We also have caramel over there, but I figured that it's like That's a dessert. Later. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is from It's Poppin', but they're also at the Atherton Market, which is where we actually got this. We're still, like, Atherton Market people. I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. Well, the weirdest thing about the pandemic is, like, I haven't gone to, I, like, go to the same places. Yep. And it's bad. Like, I want to go to more. So, I've been really anti-Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Like, everybody knows the discussions. But then In Town came around, which if you're not familiar, is run by the woman who owned like the Charlotte Food Segway Tours, Diana Ward. She did like a pivot like everybody else and started this In Town Delivery CLT. And it's a very small radius within Uptown, but they deliver from local restaurants via um, electric bike. So they're like bicycles, but with the battery pack or whatever. It's easier to pedal. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and they don't charge restaurants a fee. It's just the credit card transaction fee is what the restaurant gets charged. And so, like, that has been a game changer for us. So we've been ordering in town, like, once or twice a week. Um, and I'm like, oh, I really, really need to, like, go out again. But, like, in town is so convenient. Yeah. Um, I hate to it. admit I've done some door dashing in Rock Hill, but it's mostly, like, well, you don't have Papa a, yeah. pizza. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I get, like, really mad now when, like, people in Plaza Midwood, I see, like, having Uber Eats dropped off. I'm like, no, use in town because... Yeah. It's a local business. They don't take the percentage from restaurants. Um, but you have to be in a very specific, like, within the uptown, like, three miles or so of uptown. Yeah. But it's great. If you are in uptown, check it out. Yeah. You can order via an app. Like, it's just as easy. So. Yeah, support local. Support local. I love it. Do it. Um, what? I guess we were talking earlier about, like, how do you think restaurants they pivoted in COVID, but we've also seen like kind of new things like the pop up has been like that's like the thing of the yes pop up and uh, food trucks they were already kind of big but like yeah like I guess I don't really know what the question is other than like what's some of your pop ups that you've liked like should we be taking pop up like I guess should we be taking these places more seriously as far as their restaurants like are they worthy of restaurant reviews and like being considered like a brick and mortar restaurant hmm so my favorite pop-ups um i think like obviously cheats cheesesteaks like yeah that's a to me like a perfect pandemic pop-up because it's a comfort comfort food it's like 
no contact or minimum contact. Um, and I also had their Beyond uh, me, and I thought that was pretty good too. So like they're appealing to everybody. Um, there's like a lot of hype around it, so they sell out and mostly sell out with pre-orders. So it's not like a question mark of whether or not they're gonna sell out. Um, I think uh, my other favorite is been Jasmine Macon's the pastry chef at Lee and Louise. She's been doing pastry pop-ups, and she did two that were just donut specific. Oh. Like, donuts are my downfall. Um, John's about to come in and join us. Um, donuts were actually, like, how he convinced me to, to date him. Um, aw, thank you. No, I can't wait. Oh, my goodness. So, he's, bringing, he's bringing something yeah, to eat. Yeah, snacks for us. Thank you. Wow. So, um, she, but her donuts are ridiculous, and so she does not us ravioli. Yeah, so this is... Um, John, you can tell us about this since you made it. I did not make the ravioli. I bought the ravioli from the guy at Atherton Market. Manobella. Yes. Wonderful people. And Story they, coming on Umptoe's Palette. They do a fresh pasta every Saturday that I don't care what they charge, you should buy it um, yeah. because it's amazing. And then I just did a um, at his recommendation, a ragu of sausage, mushrooms also from the Atherton Market, onion, white wine, cream, some fresh herbs. This is... I'm going to podcast here every day. You should. Oh, that's cool. This, is, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, like the baby goes to bed, we sit in the bar and drink and eat like, you know, fancy food. John's John's quite the cook. Um, we also just got a flat top grill, which has been like just the a game changer for us. So, um, so but yeah, we were talking about pop-ups. So yeah. back to pop-ups. Um, I feel like it makes sense for, you know, to take advantage of the hype and open brick and mortar. Um, because you can serve more customers. We were talking earlier, I think pre-pod about how volume is so important. Um, and you can't have the volume that you need to make a good living and hire, you need to hire more people. So like you're out of the kitchen more. So there's a lot of benefit to having brick and mortar. Um, the question is just like whether you translate your concept well enough to brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, but should we be taking these like... Do you think a pop-up is worthy of a, to be considered, like, a brick and mortar? Mm-mm. From, a, from yeah. a journalistic standpoint? Yeah. No. Um, and I think that's just, that's basically because the food is one thing, but, like, you can't really rate the service or, like, the yeah. interior, the vibe, which is another way we rate, so, mm-mm. I love them, though. And I think they're yeah, a really good a way for... It's a different thing. Yeah, and it's a good way for a chef to get on the radar of media. Yeah. Like, we write about a lot of pop-ups that people should know about. Another new one is Smoke Show Barbecue, um, which is oh. Texas-style barbecue um, from um, Brandon. Brandon Belfour, who was at... Oh. <clears throat> I think I inhaled some pepper. <laughs> this is so interactive. Okay, John, you're here. Let's talk about bourbon for a second. Okay. We want to we're, we're gonna shift. So we're in like I feel like we're in a museum of bourbon and I'm scared to look at it or touch it for fear of breaking things. Like I don't know how JJ's allowed in here. I guess you keep everything high. Actually we've lost more bottles thanks to Titan's tail than JJ. Yeah, well you do have two are they pit bulls? Yeah. 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 Their tails are insane. <laughs> okay. And they're very happy, which give us you give us a two sentence overview of what bourbon is and what we're looking at here and uh, how you got into bourbon. Let's just start there. So got into bourbon because of Kristen. Um, 
always have been drinking cocktails, and by that I mean like Jack and Coke. Martinis. Like, yeah, martinis. <laughs> was never really like a beer guy. Um, always a spirits guy. And then she started drinking bourbon um, neat uh, because she thought... I think this was because of Bo, your brother, right? Like I think it was stuff. partially because of Bo, but like also like a feminism thing of like people don't think women drink whiskey. Like, I'll show you. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry about five or six years ago when we got married. She got a couple bottles. I remember one year, that first year, we brought back like four bottles from Albany yeah. at Christmas. And I was like, man, we just got four bottles of bourbon. And now that's like, if I go out looking and I only come back with four, it's like, Man, I okay, only so, got four. So talk about, like, I feel like part of the fun is, like, the hunt. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that to me is, it's like, it's like treasure hunting. Um, so to have a good bourbon collection, you either, either need to have a lot of money or a lot of time. Yeah. Time just to go to liquor stores, build relationships, hunt, trade, buy, sell, or you just buy everything off the national secondary market and just pay a ton of money. Um, that would probably be how I would do it. <laughs> we're kind of a mix I feel. well i don't know i mean john's method is to like buy unexpected things on hunts that like we don't really want and then sell them to make enough money to buy things on the secondary market yeah so i mean so but like when you go to a liquor store like are, are these hidden in the back are they like what's the deal so some are definitely hidden in the back and that's where you know so for a higher end bourbon now Sazerac owns a lot of bourbons, uh, the big bourbon brands like Buffalo Trace, Van Winkle, all that. So for a store owner outside of North Carolina, I'm not going to talk about North Carolina because state control, but you go down to South Carolina, to get that bottle of Van Winkle, how many cases of Tito's did you have to buy in a year? How many cases of other stuff from that distributor did you have to buy? So to get some of these higher-end bottles, you have to have a relationship at the store. Um, what I do is I go looking for older bottles, bottles that people might not know about, that maybe don't have a lot of value around here, but somewhere on the national secondary market, I know somebody's looking for that bottle. So one time we went to the Pottery Barn outlet and we stumbled across The best this, place in the world. <laughs> we stumbled across this little liquor store that wasn't on Google Maps, and I tried to go in the front door, and it was locked. It's like 2 o'clock on a Saturday, and... The guy goes, you gotta go next door. And it was attached to a gas station. So the gas station attendant, I walk in there, he's like, oh, do you want in the liquor store? So you had to lock the gas station. He was working both stores. And I walked in and the place was just covered in dust. And like, that is my dream. And <laughs> you just have to know the older labels and know, you know, in this case, I found some old Heaven Hill and their distillery burned down in 1996. That's the one. That's the one that's mm. on my juice. Okay. Hell. So that makes sense. <laughs> 1996, their distillery burned down. They built it again. I think it launched in 1998. Came back online. Um, so everything from before 1996 is called pre-fire, and that like collectors just want that stuff. Well, sitting in these big 1.75 liter handle ugly plastic jugs was just bottle after bottle of Heaven Hill pre-fire. And it was, I think, 15 or $18. It was, yeah, it was very cheap. It was covered in dust. So did you I, buy them all? Oh, yeah. I, I, I said, do you have more in the back? He said, yeah. And so the best thing is, like, we get them, we had to take them over to the gas station next door. So we're hauling, like, 11 of these, you yeah. know, gallon jugs. Um, and uh, 
the guy rang us up like he's, he's doing the math on a calculator and then he rings us up for like 200 gallons of gas or something. It was crazy. the funniest thing. <laughs> and, and like we get the receipt and it, it literally says like, you know, 187 gallons of gas or something crazy like that. They probably need some help with their accounting. Yeah. I'm well, I'm sure they did it on a purpose because I'm sure they get taxed more on selling liquor than they do gas. Yeah. Uh, that's true. <laughs> and so, so it's probably just like a shady. Those, you know, that I paid 15 to 20 bucks for sold all of them for 150 to $200 a piece. And then that... That's how I buy the high-end bottles is by doing stuff like that. So is the bourbon, has the have the prices gone up like oh, all yeah. the other... Yeah, it's insane right now. Yeah. Like, I think that's how it is with all collectibles. Yeah. Like, just, it's, the markets for everything is crazy. From bourbon to like random stuff. John's trying to sell a couple bottles to buy an um, antique muscle car. So that should tell you about <laughs> <laughs> the value that increases some of these bottles. So, so you're into Booker's. I've never heard of Booker's. Tell us about my, Booker's. Booker's is owned by Jim Beam. Oh, I'll, um, get, I'll get you some when you're done with this. And uh, so I don't know if I'm worthy of Booker's. Booker No was there was the master distiller that's named after. Um, I believe he's either the grandson or the great-grandson of Jim Beam. And so um, master distiller, basically, you know, he's, he's the guy that is making all the blends. And so um, they decided late in his life that, they would they would come up with he would come up with something um, called Booker's and it debuted in '86 or '87 and um, you know it's wildly popular. It's uh, a couple years ago it was fifty nine dollars a bottle. Now in North Carolina it's eighty nine dollars a bottle. Um, it also comes out um, at cast strength, so they're not watering it down. So what it comes out at is what it comes out at. So. They're anywhere from 125 to 138 proof. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you don't need a blackout. Yeah. yeah. I don't often drink bookers. <laughs> I think it, it smells and tastes like peanuts to me. Um, and Kristen can tell you, anytime she gives it to me blind, within probably one sniff and one taste, I'm like, this is bookers. I can't tell you which batch it is, but it's got a very unique profile to me. And it comes in the, the sweet box, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Which I think is the box they use a dot 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 now to smoke their their old fashioned. Yeah. Is that Booker's box? Have you ever ever seen them like they they put the wood chips in, smoke it, and then shut it? Yeah. Use those boxes. Yeah, I've actually because we had so many extra boxes, I actually donated some boxes. Uh, to oh, the lids. Box. They needed no, the lids. No, that's right. That's yeah. right. They needed the lids on the boxes. So if you're starting, if you're a listener, and you're still listening, which would be amazing, <laughs> <laughs> and you want to like Cheers get to into bourbon. Collecting, like, where do you start? You know, just um, there are Facebook groups online. Just also just find people. Um, you know, go. There are collectors everywhere. Um, I'd say it's really hard to find stuff in North Carolina because, again, it's state controlled. So um, they do a lot of lotteries, and it's just the. It's hard to build relationships in North Carolina. Um, I've had a lot of success in South Carolina great store called chain of stores called O'Darby's um, they do a point yeah. system so the more money you spend um, the, the better access you get to their bourbon and I actually think I've told Mo the general manager slash I think owner I think it's a great system because you're rewarding your best clients with the hardest to find bourbon versus um, the Mecklenburg lottery which is like open to anyone in the US yeah you so, don't even have to be a resident yeah. of North Carolina yeah and so 30,000 people will yeah. enter that to win what they have? 60 bottles of Mangling they don't last have year? Not e- I don't even think it was that many. But yeah. it's like cheaper to fly to North Carolina and pick up your Van Winkle than it is to buy 
like on the secondary market. Yeah. So it's, it's um, I would also say it's a, there's so many people in it now and it's so hard to find stuff. I mean, I lamented to her recently, the humps are just not as fun because you're coming back. It's just smaller and smaller yeah. finds now. Yeah. But. So what's the craziest hunt? Like, have you driven like seven hours? Like what's like the craziest yeah. thing you've done? I have a San Francisco trip. So I, with her brother, he was relocating from South Carolina or San Francisco to Charlotte. And um, he asked me to come on the trip with him. And I said, well, only if we can stop like five liquor stores a day. And so, <laughs> and by the way, train. <laughs> like people are like, you went to five, like they think that's a lot. I have, my goal is to get to 50 liquor stores in a day. I've yet to do it. I've gotten into the forties and that's getting up, leaving here at like 6 a.m., yeah. starting in Augusta, Georgia at like 9 a.m. and driving all through the backwoods of Georgia. Um, We've probably had the best luck in Delaware. Yeah. And, I mean, the best luck is really, I mean, you just go to these stores that are out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I've got a secret spot in South Carolina. I went and saw the guy this weekend, and he had a gallon jug of Buffalo Trace. And, like, he's just happy to, you know, it's not out on the shelf. I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, if you got any... Buffalo Trace or Eagle Rare or anything. It's like, oh yeah, I got Buffalo Trace. You bring them a sample of something yep. rare and it's just like... Yeah, I mean, I usually... I mean, there are... Anytime I have relationships, I'll also bring them... I have one and two ounce sample bottles, so I'll pour them just because I want them to know, like, I appreciate that you're giving me this opportunity. And it also shows that I'm opening the bottles, that, you know, I'm not always trading them or selling them or doing yeah. something with them. Yeah. I, I think the thing people forget in bourbon collecting... This stuff's meant to be shared, um, you know, and um, I think it's like food. You know, I can tell you the five craziest bottles we've opened. It was on some big special occasion, and every time I look at that bottle, I think about that occasion. And I think, you know, food does that same type of thing. It evokes this memory of, you know, something your grandmother made you or something, you know, you had at your wedding or whatever. Um, I think bourbon does the same thing. Yeah, we have to share it because there's no way in hell we're drinking all this before we die. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not with a functional. I love though. it. Yeah. I, I think it's so. That's like the why you collect anything. It's like finding these rare things yeah. and sharing it, and yeah, super cool. It's pretty awesome. We have to do a whole pod about that. People you should. Hear it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. It, I want to go on one of these like dawn to dust hunts. Well, you guys could stop and play it. Get somebody get get you in in Augusta. Uh, if you can get then... me, if you can get me into Augusta, <laughs> we can go to a hundred thousand liquor stores a day. So for the, two years, the craziest in search of like um, people will put up their rare bottles and say, "I'm in search of," and you know, some crazy amount. Um, guy put up two of the rarest bottles of E.H. Taylor I've ever seen. Probably a value of about eighteen thousand now. At that point, it was probably thirteen or fourteen thousand. He said, my ISO is very, very uh, simple, and I'm not looking for anything else. I just want my, my dad and I to be able to play Augusta National. These are my two bottles. Help me make it happen. And he got a ton of messages. I don't know if he got on or not. So he was going to give people... He was going to give whoever could get him on. Oh, man. $13,000 worth of bourbon. I need to do that. Yeah. That's... Hmm, but it's funny it. because I feel like people... If you are a member at Augusta, you wouldn't take ten thousand dollars. Yeah, that's. But like, you would take these two rare bottles of bourbon that you're not gonna be able to find anywhere else. Yeah, it's it's and interesting. Like, both of them were one-time releases only, never gonna be made again. Whole favorites. I hope he did get to play. 
I hope he did too. You know, and it, it was funny because a bunch of people were like giving him crap, and he was like, "Look, I bought these for seventy dollars each a long time ago. I put them away in my liquor cabinet and never yeah. drank them. And this is the only chance I will ever have to play Augusta, so I'm shooting my shot." I love As you that. should. Oh, right. I love that. Yeah. And also, dream. the other good thing about the all-day hunts is you end up in these like middle of nowhere towns, and you stop and eat at their diners, and it's just like slices of America. <laughs> it's so amazing. So good. Okay, we're going to have to do this. I'm in. All I'm right. In. You just let me know. All right. I'm on for the ride. A live pod. A live, yeah. From the bourbon trail. Yeah, it'll be my first journalistic thing I ever do. I love it. And I'll it. just, like, record it, and we'll never release it or talk about it. Just be between you and me. It's, um, <laughs> it's an experience, for sure. <laughs> that get, sounds awesome. There are stories. There are definitely stories. And, you know, also, when you get into some of these small places, you bring cash, and you don't bring credit cards, and you talk about, like, well, what if we... What if we pay cash and there was no receipt involved, and then yeah. the price can you know, change a little bit? So. Lots of tricks. Yeah, this is amazing. Um, I guess we have to finish the pod. Probably. What's uh? We'll do it again soon. I hope. Yeah, this was amazing. Okay, what's the best thing you guys ate this week? This week. It could be really over the last year. Well, I mean, I can. Do, I so I was in Connecticut over the weekend. Um, and the best thing I ate, can I, can it not be in Charlotte? Is that like crappy? It'll be wherever you want. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> There's no rules. Well, I'll give you two answers. One in Charlotte. Could be on a bourbon hunt. How about that? Yeah. Um, I had a breakfast pizza in Hartford, Connecticut, which is like all of the best things about Hartford and breakfast. Um, that was delicious. Um, but also, um, we got some pate from, um, Patrick's Gourmet, oh. which is a delivery from... Patrick Gravier, who used to own X in Provence before it closed. Um, and he does a home delivery. It's kind of like your farm's your table, which uh, a lot of people know about. But Patrick's Gourmet, they do like $30 um, salad, main course, dessert, delivery. You can order up until noon the day of, which is like a game changer yeah. for us. Um, but he also does like classic French pate, and it's amazing. What about you, John? So my answer is going to be slightly selfish because I made it, but... Um, I love it. We just got the Blackstone flat top grill and uh, been messing around with cheesesteaks. And wow. have definitely eaten a fair amount of cheesesteaks, as you can see, uh, in my day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, shout out to, to what the guys at Cheats are doing because I've gone to a couple of theirs and really watched how they're doing stuff. <laughs> and um, I made one on Tuesday night that I felt like I was pretty proud of. It tasted really, really good. So... I just love, like, who doesn't love, like, meat, cheese, onions, good bread with some butter on it. And we lucked out because, again, at the Atherton Market, um, Windy Hill had a special on, um, what, what cuts did you get? Sirloin. For 10 bucks. Um, oh. For, I don't even know. It was... Like, two pounds? Uh, yeah. Like two it was, pounds it was good. Yeah. So, that oh, worked so. out well for the cheesesteaks. Yeah. Perfect meat to, like, cut yeah. up and... I was at the Pottery Barn outfit outlet, <laughs> so I didn't get to try it. <laughs> okay. I did. Everybody go subscribe to Unpretentious Palette. It's unpretentiouspalette.com. Yep. Uh, follow you on Instagram. Also at Unpretentious Palette. And then you can follow yourself, Kristen Wild. Yep. Do you have an Instagram on these bourbon hunts? Do you want to go bourbon pretty, hunting? Pretty much I only uh, I only put pictures of bourbon or JJ. That's on, true. On, and I'm just John Wild 23. There you go. And that's J-O-N. Yeah. Wow. Like a Jonathan. That's right. I love it. Okay, this was amazing. I hope you enjoyed it. That was fun. Yeah, thank you. Always fun.